we keep on having these expectations that children can't do, so they get frustrated. And so we're giving advice to caregivers to help these individuals, but not through a brain-based lens. So caregivers get frustrated because what they're doing isn't helping. It's to the point where the child is giving up, the caregiver is giving up, and it's almost to the point of disruptive placement. Inform, educate, advocate. This is your source for all things early childhood. From nurturing healthy development to overcoming behavioral challenges and recognizing mental health needs. Welcome to Centering Kids. Advice from the experts at the Florida Center for Early Childhood. There's no denying that people of all ages living in today's world have felt the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Have you ever wondered what effect the coronavirus is going to have on the pandemic generation? Did you even know this was a thing? It's the generation of babies born over the last two and a half years. For one thing, lockdowns, which were crucial for controlling the coronavirus, isolated families and presented the playtime and social interactions developing children would normally have. In addition, many parents and caregivers were stressed out and stretched thin, unable to provide that one-on-one time that babies and toddlers really need to develop critical skills and meet developmental milestones. Hi, I'm Kristen Tyson, your host of Centering Kids, advice from the experts at the Florida Center for Early Childhood. And as we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, parents, caregivers, and early childhood professionals have new issues to address as a result of the environmental changes that took place. Today, I'm here with Kim Williams, Director of Developmental Services for the Florida Center, as well as Tamara Chayo, Director of the agency's Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders Clinic. Thank you, ladies, for joining me today. Thank you, Kristen. We're happy to be here. Thank you, Kristen. So today we'll be talking about how change can affect all aspects of a child's development and how our upcoming Mind Matters Symposium will address different ways that that can happen. Now, you two are not only experts in specific fields of early childhood, but you're also trainers at the Florida Center's Training Institute. Can you speak a little bit about how those roles converge here at the Florida Center? Maybe, Tamara, you can tell us a little bit first. Absolutely, Kristen. I've been in the field for 20 years working with children and family as a mental health therapist and in a number of capacities. And I have been at the Florida Center, though, for the past six years, with the past four and a half years at the diagnostic clinic, the FASD clinic. And with regards to trainings, once again, I've been involved in trainings to some capacity from from the beginning. And I've been trained in a number of evidence-based treatments that I'm now a trainer. There's Act Raising Safe Kids, which is a violence prevention curriculum. And currently the FACETS Neural Behavioral Model, which is also focusing on children and adults who've been exposed to both drugs and alcohol and other neurobehavioral conditions. Okay, wonderful. So you've got a, a wealth of information, mm-hmm. and I'm so glad that you're able to share that with, with people through the trainings. And Kim, how about you? So Kristen, I have about 40 years experience in the field of speech-language pathology. 28 of these past years have been at the Florida Center for Early Childhood, where I've uh, gained experience not only in speech pathology, but working alongside early childhood education, mental health counselors, um, and 
fetal alcohol team colleagues. And having so much experience, I've been able to bring to the center training opportunities in a number of areas that include teaching parents, caregivers, uh, um, colleagues, developmental milestones, um, specific areas of language, uh, language memory, executive functions, a number of areas in speech and language. Excellent. And uh, listeners might recall when we had Kim on the show, I think it was last May for um, Speech Awareness Month, I want to say. I think it was, uh, was it Speech Awareness? It was about autism spectrum disorder, yes. So um, glad to have you back, Kim. Thank you. And you both have mentioned FASD. To our listeners who may not be familiar with that, Tamara, maybe you can explain that in a nutshell. Sure. FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So in a nutshell, when mother is pregnant, she drinks, and that alcohol goes to the baby. And when that alcohol goes to the baby, it impacts the brain and at times and how it's, how, it's, how it's growing. And so what happens is when the baby is born, it's possible with the mom drinking that it could impact the baby with learning issues, behavior issues, all different things that may happen because of what happened in utero. And we've t- discussed fetal alcohol spectrum disorders on this podcast as well and how really there's no safe amount or time that the pregnant woman can can drink that it, it might not affect the baby. So um, good to know. And Kim, um, how about your experience with FASD? Well, I've been told I am a founding member of the FASD team. Um, I've been <laughs> on the clinic team since 2005 um, in a role as the speech-language pathologist, so I do the evaluations in the language domain for the team. Okay. So, Tamara, this brings me to your upcoming presentation for the Mind Matters Symposium on June 22nd, which you're doing in conjunction with Kim Kutch of the Florida Department of Children and Families. And um, this symposium is a virtual event, the second one of its kind. We did the first one in 2021. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what we can expect to learn from your presentation. Sure. So really in child welfare, children, as I just mentioned about alcohol, many of these children are exposed to alcohol, drugs, probably both the substances together, trauma, They're exposed to all these different things that might impact the brain. And really what we're talking about is kind of what I was mentioning before about FASD. What can happen is when the brain is being developed in utero, it impacts that they might have some learning challenges or behavior challenges. But what happens when they start having these behaviors that we actually forget about the brain? And then we end up expecting more out of these children than they actually can do. And so with the presentation, really what we're talking about is starting to see not just the, um, the children through a different lens, but also the, the adults who've been impacted by drugs, alcohol, and trauma, and really trying to reframe how we see these individuals so they can get the necessary supports. Mm. I often think of people working with children um, that see negative behaviors that they initially think that it's just um, purposeful or manipulative behavior instead of an an actual symptom of a brain-based disability. 
And I can't even imagine what does that do to a child's development and their, um, you know, their emotional state. It, I mean, that's such a great question, Kristen, because it's not just the child that it impacts, but the caregiver. So what happens is we keep on having these expectations that children can't do. And so they get frustrated. And so we're giving advice to caregivers with to help these individuals, but not through a brain baseline. So caregivers get frustrated because what they're doing isn't helping. So they get frustrated. And what happens, and this is actually why I'm so excited to do this training with Kim, because we've been a part of many um, community-wide meetings where it's to the point where the child is giving up, the caregiver is giving up, and it's almost to the point of disrupted um, placement. So what we're really wanting to look at is how do we start getting the appropriate supports for both the caregivers and the individuals that are dealing with being exposed to both drugs, alcohol, and trauma. Um, and it's what's interesting is that, you know, even with COVID, I think about the changing times, it's still like almost more than half of the cases of removal have to do with substance use of the, the caregivers. But the, the number of people removed hasn't changed during COVID. Probably the number of calls that that occurred has gone down a little bit. I was going to ask about, you know, how this really relates to um, the COVID-19 pandemic and what we're discussing. But it's really all about those environmental effects and what's going on in the environment around these children as they're developing, as they're growing, even in utero, um, that's really going to impact them as they um, develop as a child and, and grow up. So that's interesting. Um, what do you think are some ways that we can help to, to mitigate these negative effects of maybe environmental stressors or changes? Well, I definitely feel like community is most important. People who understand these individuals through a brain baselines because there's so many caregivers out there where people are judging them, saying it's your fault, you're, you need to be stricter. So having a community of people who understand the disability is essential. Definitely any kind of evaluations, whether it's through our FASD clinic, speech and language, OT, neuropsychological evaluation, really to assess what's going on with the brain because if we don't know what's going on with the brain, we automatically go to behavior and thinking it's manipulation. Um, you mentioned OT, and I just want to clarify for people that might not be familiar, that's occupational therapy. And that's a great modality used to help with not only um, physical um, development, but with the brain and getting them to work together in speech. And I know, Kim, you can, you can speak more about that. But you're going to be talking about how COVID and other environmental trauma can affect the physical development of young children. So if you want to um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, during the COVID-19 pandemic, opportunities to obtain services diminished for children. For those that were birthed to three, they have little or no services available at all. And for the older children, their services got disrupted. So child development researchers have begun to look at and measure the impact of COVID-19 on these young children. So we really don't know a lot about 
what the, the effects are going to be overall because there's it's still so soon. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. But we can expect there to be probably a fairly significant impact, especially for the younger ones who didn't get service for 18 months to two years. Well, I know I was talking with someone recently, too, where they've got someone, uh, a child coming into pre-kindergarten, having never been in an early learning environment because of COVID. Um, you know, the parents kept them at home, which we was, you know, they were fortunate to be able to do. But yet that child is going to have some challenges, more so than a child who previously would have had the benefit of being in early um, early childhood setting. Have you seen any anything like that? Yeah, we've um, heard from a, a number of families who are sharing that, that their children are now having first opportunities, even in the community, to play in the park, you know, to go with a, an older child to a game at the middle school or to be in preschool. And really what, you know, what we're feeling is that, first of all, parents are feeling very anxious about that and worried about that. And I think it's just to kind of calm their worry and say, hey, but we're here now. So let's just move forward. If they have concerns, get them assessed in different areas of language, motor, social, um, cognitive, um, their play skills. And let's just go from there and just kind of pick up. You've done, you've done a lot of great things at home during this pandemic, so let's just move forward. Because that's the, you really want the parent on your team, and you don't want them to feel so overwhelmed because they feel like their children missed out. Um, so we feel that we can impact it on that end as we wait for all that research to come out. Mm, that's a good point, that you can't, can't keep dwelling on what could have happened or you might have done, but just go forward. And what are some things that um, occupational therapists and, and speech language pathologists can do to enhance development in these early childhood settings? Um, well, in the early childhood settings, we um, the speech pathologists are, are going to address, address speech, the development of their sounds. They're going to uh, address language, which is articulation as they get older, teaching them grammar. But in the early childhood settings, um, our, our really big job is to work with the children directly and the parents, but it's also to work with the whole team. So to work with the teachers, the mental health counselors, um, and that also goes for the occupational therapist. And like you had mentioned earlier, they work on your fine motor skills and your fine motor skills, not only being what you do with your fine motor skills of your fingers, but also your visual motor skills, fine motor skills of your eyes. Um, they do a lot with sensory processing, which is how um, the body takes in information through all of their senses and how are they able to respond. So some children are overreactive to things and some children are underreactive to things. But the most important thing in the early childhood settings is to really work with the team and the parent so that everybody's seeing the child as a whole child, not as pieces. Mm. I always wondered what they said about, you know, the whole child. What does that mean? Of course, you're a whole child, but I understand now with you know different pieces. And I think that is one of the benefits about the Florida Center for Early Childhood is that uh, if we have a child in our preschool or even just getting one therapy, 
if they need another therapy, the therapist can work together or the therapist and the teacher so that it really is that whole well-rounded approach and bringing in the parents too. So I think that's just so effective and unique about the Florida Center. It is, and it's great. I think Tamara would agree that it's great to be part of a team like that, that you know that you have access and resources around you that you can learn from and, and know that you're giving the right services to, to the children and families that you're serving. So Tamara, I know that with um, the FASD clinic, um, we there is a waiting list for evaluations and along the same lines of what Kim was saying, um, you know, if a parent has to wait for that evaluation, it's still not too late. There's still progress and there's you know, a path forward. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I totally agree with Kim. The reality is, yeah, sometimes there's a waiting list. And actually right now with the FASD clinic, there's not much of a wait list than, than we used to have. But in the meantime, you could still be learning and supporting the child. So I think of there's things to do with language, there's things to do with sensory, there's things to do with the brain that you could do at the home, at home. And really, I think what we'd like to do at the Florida Center is really empowering caregivers, teachers to understand this whole child so that the learning continues. And then when you get the evaluation, you can even hone in a little bit more on that and that learning. Awesome. Well, this has definitely been a fascinating discussion, and I hope that by addressing these issues and being open to change, we can head off the challenges that this pandemic generation will be facing. Is there anything else that you ladies would like to add? I don't think so. Well, I hope you are as excited as I am for our Mind Matters Symposium. And if people are interested in learning about it or attending the event, you can register and find out more at floridacentertraining.org. And it is so exciting to announce that we have very special keynote speakers in addition to you wonderful, talented, and smart women. Um, We have researchers and renowned experts, Dr. Craig and Sharon Rainey, and they will be talking about their experience with the Abyssinarian Project, which is a very well-known research project that has, ha- has been referenced for many, many years. And um, people can learn from them, and they can also have the opportunity to earn five continuing education credits. And we have sponsorships available, so a lot of ways people can participate, and we're hoping that everyone listening will um, grab their ticket and log on. It is virtual, so you can listen to it from anywhere. And um, I do want to remind everyone too that the Florida Center is a nonprofit organization and our Centering Kids podcast is funded by listeners like you. If you would like to learn about how you can contribute, you can visit us online at www.thefloridacenter.org. And if you want to reach out to us, you can just email us at info at thefloridacenter.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another great episode on early childhood. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Centering Kids. You can visit the Florida Center for Early Childhood online at www.thefloridacenter.org to learn more and subscribe to this podcast. Have comments or suggestions for a show topic? Email us at podcast at 
Thanks again for joining us for Centering Kids, where early childhood experts give you tips and tools to help center children, foster their healthy development, and build stronger families.